Well, today in our gospel lesson, Jesus gives us uh, further instructions on how we are to live as disciples. He does so by the very fact that Peter is tempted in a particular way. And I think you're going to find that in most of the gospel lessons throughout Lent, there, there are specific examples of a temptation that the person, the human person in the story is tempted to fall into. And Peter definitely takes the bait this week, right? Peter is uh, oftentimes the one who speaks out loud. He's the extrovert who puts himself out there and gets in trouble, but he also helps us to understand the nature of discipleship. Peter has just proclaimed in the couple of verses right before this text that, that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. Remember Jesus is at, at uh, Caesarea Philippi and he asked the question, who do people say that I am? And people give answers and then he says, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. You are the Christ, you're the Messiah. And Jesus is ready to begin to explain to them, okay, you're right, Peter, but now we have to understand what Messiah means and we are told in the text that Jesus speaks plainly. I mean, there's no shadow, there's no doubt. He is very matter of fact. This is what's going to happen. And he begins to describe his suffering, his passion, that he'll be turned over to the religious leaders, that he'll be tried, he'll be crucified, but on the third day he'll rise again. Well, at that moment, Peter cannot handle the fact that his expectation of what Messiah will be and Jesus' words about what Messiah will be are just in direct contrast. And Peter cannot hold himself back. And so he makes that unfaithful decision to tell Jesus that he is wrong. <laughs> Always a bad idea, right? Jesus, you are wrong. And I love the way Michael put it a couple of weeks. And Jesus turns to, to, to Peter and says, no, Peter, you are Satan. And so I think that is about as blunt as you can put it. Peter has in his own desire to his own expectation of what a Messiah will be, what it will look like, lots of ideas about Messiahs floating around the first century, military leaders mostly, those who will take care of the Romans, kick them out. Peter has let his own perception cloud his ability to hear the words of Jesus. Jesus is speaking about the gospel but Peter has his own ideas. He wants God to conform to his image and his perception. But before you judge Peter too harshly, I think we need to all recognize that this is something we're all capable of doing. We're all capable of sitting in judgment over the scriptures, over what we are told, um, the history of the church in terms of what is the truth of the gospel, the person of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we're oftentimes tempted to manipulate and to conform God to our image or our perception. Basically, Peter wants Jesus without any of the suffering, none of the blood and ickiness. I'm told that there are churches, as a matter of fact, I know there are around, who actually have taken the, the hymns of the church, some of the great hymns of the church that include things like blood, and they've taken those hymns out or they've rewritten those hymns to eliminate all the, the blood and suffering and ickiness of Jesus. They want a cleaned up 21st century Jesus who's more acceptable to their palate and taste. Well, even if 
our temptation is not to take out hymns and to quit singing hymns about the blood. We too, if we're not careful, we will allow ourselves to distort our view of God. The distorted view of God always leads to a distorted view of discipleship. That is why Jesus must say, you are Satan. In that moment, Jesus can recognize that Peter is in fact being, he's taken the bait of temptation and he is now allowing himself to speak the things that Satan would want to say into the ears of Jesus, into the mind of Jesus. And so that's why Jesus takes so seriously and makes such a strong statement to Peter. You're, you're, you're a puppet of the adversary at this moment, Peter. You do not have the things of God, but the things of man at mind. Probably, the, it says in the text that, that Jesus looking around and seeing the other disciples probably means that the disciples were in agreement with Peter. Oh, I'm glad that glad Peter is straightening Jesus out early on so he understands what he's supposed to be about. And, and so Jesus says, no, no, you're Satan. <laughs> you, you, you need to recognize that you've, you've taken the bait, Peter. You've, you've completely given in to, to, to distorting your understanding of who Messiah is. I'm trying to explain it to you and you're refusing to hear. You see, it's still all about Peter. It's all about Peter. It's all about what he wants Messiah to do and how he wants Messiah to reign. And that is something that I think we can all agree with, right? That that's a sin tendency for all of us to make us all about us. Even our worship of God, which is completely in, you know, a contradiction of terms. You come to worship God, you bow down, you submit, you humble yourself. And yet to come into worship, we sometimes come in with our own distorted views and try to make it all about us. That's why we should be careful about the songs we sing, right, David? I mean, oftentimes, sometimes contemporary, not all the time, sometimes contemporary songs, they seem to be about God, but they're really more about me. And that's, again, that tendency towards the distortion, making it all about us. Jesus then lays out these hard words of discipleship that that are in all the Gospels, so you can't say, well, maybe somebody got it wrong. No, it's clearly there. Jesus says, if anyone would follow me, if you come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. I've struggled with those words my entire Christian life. I've, I've tried to pick them apart and make them different things. I don't think they're actually different things. I think they're three different ways, phrases of thinking about the same thing which is basically that we're, we're called to be willing to give up our lives, to follow Jesus is to, is, to, is to learn the way of self-denial and of suffering that Jesus does. The willingness to give up our very life, our physical life completely, if Christ calls us to. Now you need to know that the, the people that Mark is writing this gospel to, probably taking the eyewitness account of Peter, by the way, these people are under persecution, and some of them are facing death even as they speak. And the tendency is to think that, well, if I'm, if I'm being killed, I must be doing something wrong. And part of what Mark's motivation is to say, no, from the very words of Jesus, the very mouth of Jesus, understand that, that the way of Christ, the way of following him, often leads to what looks like disastrous ruin, suffering, and abandonment by God, but in fact, God has not abandoned you, Mark wants 
the congregation to understand. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Learn my ways. Dietrich Bonhoeffer famously says, when, a man, when God calls a man, he bids him come and die. And that's a lifelong pursuit and discipleship, learning to deny myself. But Jesus isn't finished there. He, he continues on with a couple of expressions, a couple of verses that, that help to sort of tease out what this means, how the implication. Why is it, Jesus, that I should deny myself, that I should take up my cross, declare myself willing to die with you, and follow after you? Why is that? Well, first of all, Jesus says, because protecting your physical life at all costs actually puts your soul the essence of who you are at risk. Now, I'm going to just meddle for a second because, you know, I, I think that the, the challenge of walking through this pandemic has been how desperately people love their physical life. Ooh, did I go too far? And I'm not saying be foolish with your physical life, but Jesus clearly has an implication that to follow him will mean that we put our physical life at risk. That's what he says. Not my words, Jesus' words. And I'm not going to twist them because I don't want to fall into Satan's temptation. I'm going to try to take Jesus at his word, and I think we should all do that. Secondly, Jesus says there is nothing that you can gain in life. There's nothing you can pursue or obtain, no matter who you are or what you obtain, that is worth comparing with your soul, with the essence of who you are that will live into eternity in the presence of Christ. And then thirdly, Jesus goes on just to, just to make it even harder. He says, Basically, if you deny me before men, I will deny you by my former father. If you're ashamed of the kingdom, what Jesus is saying is that to be ashamed reveals the heart. It is the fact that, and again, I, I say this with all grace, it's, the, it's Jesus saying that the, the gospel is truly believed when we're not ashamed to say it boldly, despite the fact that some people will ridicule us or reject us, or perhaps even persecute us in response. Jesus says, these are all reasons that we are to walk the way of Christ, to deny, to take up cross, and to follow him. Now, on a human level, we know there's something to this. I mean, there is something to giving up our lives to worthy things, to other people, to pouring our lives into things that are worthy to others, to, to, doing, to, to giving a life of, of taking our money and our time and our energy and, and, and putting it into things, into, into people. It produces life in us. The most giving people we know are usually the happiest people we know. And conversely, we know people who, for whom it's all about them and they continually make it about them and it's about accumulating wealth or accumulating power or accumulating fame or whatever it is. And oftentimes we see lived out as living parables the, the despair of their life, that their life becomes imploded on itself and it's empty. We see that in movies and television shows and 
books, but we also see it in real life. How tragic are every person I've ever heard that won the lottery, how tragic is their lives? It's not because they got the money, it's because they were living a life that was inwardly focused before the money, and then the money just exacerbated the problem. Jesus calls us not to despair, but he calls us to learn his way. The downward denial of self, learning to give up ourselves, to give up our life that in fact we may actually gain our life. It's the way of Christ. It's a part of the mystery of how God works in, in the world and how he redeems the world. It's, it's oftentimes through the very things we suffer that God's greatest glory comes and that we grow closest to him and find out our life and purpose. It doesn't make sense on a worldly idea. So, so I empathize with, with Peter and his, his inability to grasp it. And Although I can't physically say, Jesus, you're wrong, Oftentimes, I know I do it in my life, in the way I live, in the way we live. Well, what do we do with this? How do we make a start? Well, first of all, to remind you what I said a moment ago, this is a lifelong process. And the problem with when I was in my 30s was that I spent way too much time in my own head. <laughs> I'm, I'm learning in my 50s to be a little more out there with my thoughts and just to start start somewhere is better than staying in here forever can I suggest that I come back to the idea that that fasting is a small way to begin to learn self-denial whether it's whether it's taking a day or a 24 hour or a period of time that God calls you to to just deny yourself any physical food except for maybe water or if it's just it's denying yourself some treat or something that you do in the regular life during the rest of the year. Just learning to take that away is a small step. It's a positive step of learning to walk in this life of denial. Dying to our physical needs and seeing how God can meet you in the midst of those things. It's what Paul is talking about. It's what the psalmist is talking about today. It's what it's what Abraham found at Mount Moriah. But secondly, I would say a good way to start is to simply find somebody that you can confess to. It doesn't have to be a priest. It could just be your friend that you trust, your brother or sister in Christ. Confess to them how often it's all about you. Just, be, just quit with a spin. Just find some people to say, you know what? I can spin this. I can justify this, but man, that was all about me. Great place to start. Thirdly, I think we can learn to submit. Oh, this isn't a small one. This is a little larger one, but if you, if you go, okay, check, check, I'm done. Okay, here's your third one then. Learn to submit to the authorities over you and accept the circumstances that God has placed you in. See them as being from him and allow yourself to live in that place. That, that will cause you 
to deny self. That will, that will be a challenge. And I agree that's a hard one. So, but food for thought. Lastly, I just want to bring it all back because I do think that there's a reason why Jesus says there in the, in the last verse that um, whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes into the glory of his Father with the holy angels. It really is all about Jesus and it all starts and ends with Christ. And I don't think it's a guilt trip. I think it's a recognition. And this is the heart of what happens for Peter. He can't accept the way of the cross. The shame, the sin, the brokenness. And so he tries to twist it. And Jesus calls us back to the reality. Hebrews 12.2 says, For the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross. He was willing to walk the way of suffering and death for you and me. And coming back to that and delighting yourself in the God who gave himself for us is where we'll find the grace to respond in likeness to him. For I learned to give up my life, deny myself, and walk with him who gave up himself for me. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.